How's it going, everybody? This is Andy McCullough. I'm a senior writer at The Athletic, and I'm here with Mark Carrig, who is also a senior writer at The Athletic, and you are here for the debut episode, the maiden voyage, if you will, of our podcast, Beyond the Scrum. And from myself and all the listeners, I think we'd all like to know, Mark, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing fine. Andy, how are you? You know, whatever, man. I'm fine. I'm fine. You sound like you've got I'm the excited. ass. Uh, <laughs> I think this is going to be, our first episode is going to be very representative of uh, how the show is going to go. Yes. Uh, you know, moods are a funny thing, Mark, and sometimes they swing. <laughs> you don't say. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we're excited, though, to bring this show to you guys uh, here at The Athletic. Um, if you are not already subscribed, please go to theathletic.com slash beyondthescrum. Uh, you can rate and review. You can subscribe. It's a good site. There's good writing on there. You'll really like it if you like sports. And if you don't like sports, you'll still probably like it because there's just good stories on there. But uh, enough plugging, Mark. Can you explain to the folks what we're going to be doing here with this show? Well, let me let me go back a half a step and just shout out to the dude who gave us a four-star review before we even did a single episode. Thank you for that. Um, who was it? I don't know. Like no one, they, they don't show you. I just looked up on the um, on the uh, podcast app and I saw there were three reviews and two people were put uh, a five-star review, I guess for the trailer that you cut. And then oh, someone good. put put a four and it's like... <laughs> Okay, like, yeah, what's the point right. of that? Like, is that, like, a little right. backslap because you didn't, like, cut the right promo? Or, like, anyway. Um, oh, wait, it was a four out of five? Yeah, yeah. Like, that was clearly that a shot. That's a shot. That's what I'm saying. So whoever it was, thank you. It was very kind of you. <laughs> I Jerk. don't know. I don't know if that's – yeah, I don't – you know, I don't care for no. that at all, I will say. No, I don't. It almost gave me the ass. But I don't get the <laughs> ass anymore because I'm not on a beat anymore. And, like, I don't get as mad anymore. Anyway, yeah, the point of the show, at this point. That's, that's true. That's true. Like, this is pretty much more paternity leave for me. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, the point of the show. Point of the uh, show. Well, well, let's give some backstory, Andy. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Andy and I used to work together at another newspaper. Um, as I guess a decade ago, the Star Ledger in, in, in yeah, New, we, New Jersey. Yeah, we first met 11 years ago, I think. Almost yeah. 12. Was it 2009, yeah. I want to say? It was 2009. 2009, yeah. I know um, how many years it was because I would have unfollowed you years ago if we weren't friends. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't have blamed you. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so I was covering the Yankees for the Star Ledger, and then like we do every summer, there were interns. And that summer, I recall, the ledger took a chance from this journalism school that no one's ever heard of uh, called Syracuse. Small little, small, small place in upstate New York. Yeah, just, Scrappy. you know, a bunch of, right, like, you know, looking where you don't find talent normally. Yeah. And, you know, Going kind of beating the bushes. class, lunch pail kids, yep. Right. So, and then they unearthed a fellow named Matt Gelb, who now covers yep. the Phillies for The Athletic, and he has a podcast, yep. too. Because everybody here has a podcast. And then they unearthed you. Uh, and and I had a hard time remembering you guys' names. And Steve Politti decided that he was going to just shorthand it and say, well, there's the smiley one and there's the grumpy one. Yeah. And so I'm potting right now with the grumpy one. Um, yeah, I, b- I believe his actual quote was mopey and giggly. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> for the sake of yeah. accuracy. That is correct. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, um, uh, well, we work together again now, obviously, but back then. We do. Um, you know, Andy, as part of his duties, would approve expenses, and he um, sn- snitched on me for trying to put in for a haircut. So thanks for that. Um, uh, I mean, but- I, I think I, 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 snitched on you is a strong – no, that's what you so did. Mark was the, that's what you Mark did. Was the, Mark was the Yankees beat writer at the time, and I was a freelance clerk uh, uh, who had, got kept on at the end of the summer. Um, you know, Gelb went on to a career of fame in Philadelphia, and uh, I got kept on at the ledger at the end of the summer. And as one of my many goals and, or excuse me, uh, tasks, in addition to, you know, covering the Rutgers women's basketball team and writing about Monmouth football and, you know, filling in for the Mets and Yankees uh, on the weekends was uh, I had to, you know, basically do Carrig's expenses because he was too lazy to do them himself. So that meant Carrig just gave me an envelope full of receipts and said, yeah, do my expenses. So one of them was a receipt for like a $10 haircut at, uh, you know, wherever, uh, you know, Supercuts or something in Tampa, which is, you know, probably a good depiction of what Mark's life looked like at that time. Um, and I went into our boss's office and just asked what category I should put this under, at which point our, our, off, our boss, the uh, great Drew Van Esselstyn, picked up the phone and called Mark and asked him why he was trying to do an expensive haircut. So I think Snitch is a little strong. Mark, it's a little strong. <laughs> it wasn't that I was too lazy to do the expenses, Andy. They had to be looked over by somebody in the office, and that happened to be you. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, you know our friendship survived despite this ugly episode. And and you know as we we're talking about building this podcast, I we both kind of thought about well at the time I didn't have a car and Andy did and. Uh, you know, if we were working the game together that night, uh, it was about a 20-minute ride or so to, to get out of the press box, into the car, and to my apartment. And it was on the way to where Andy was living at the time. And, and you know, we would spend that car ride just talking shop. And, uh, yeah. you know, at least from my vantage point, it was a lot of fun. And um, so here we are. I guess it's sort of replicating some of that stuff from then, except we're probably not going to be talking about the 2009 Yankees as much yeah. as we did then. But, um, yeah, like I think uh, there's a lot of uh, podcasts out there uh, that will break down a contract extension and talk about war and uh, whether defense matters and all that stuff, which is great. Um, but I think we're also living in a world where uh, people consume their baseball in so many different ways through the media and – uh, I kind of wonder sometimes whether they ever think twice about what all that means, you know? So maybe this is what fills that void. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think this might be a podcast that starts out for people who are extremely online, but, uh, you know, that's a that's a nice niche. There's a lot of people who fill that void, and we think it's going to be interesting to kind of replicate a lot of the conversations we've had, you know, one-on-one and talk about, you know, just some of the, like you said, just explaining how certain stories get to be and how certain things are presented to the public. And, you know, it's sort of like we're trying to do what uh, PTI did with, you know, Kornheiser and Wilbon's conversations. You know, their arguments in the Washington Post sports department 
And so hopefully in 20 years, we'll both be multimillionaires who don't really have to go into clubhouses anymore. Um, that's, uh, that's my hope, at least, uh, is to oh, just become man. super, super rich off this. God, that would be nice. Wouldn't that it? would be That'd nice. That would be so great. What a deal. What a deal. But yeah, like that, we're talking a little bit before and, and you know, people obsess, right, over what they eat. Uh, as they should, right? If you want to be healthy, you obsess over what it is that you eat. But yeah, let me write funny. that down. Hold on. Uh, yeah, you got that? You got, okay. Yeah, um, one sec. Right. Yes, the, the fat guy is telling you that it's important to tell you, you know, what, what you eat. I think I might it's weigh just, more than you, but I'm just, I'm much taller than you. I'm but like you're also like three feet you. taller than me. So yeah, like, I'm, I'm much taller. Um, but what we don't do, I think, and, and I see this a lot, you know, online. Uh, sometimes there isn't enough attention paid, I think, to what it is that you're consuming media-wise. You know, asking yourself, hey, there's people saying that this story is X, and there's another person saying that this story is Y, and who do you believe? How, How do you figure that out? And I think what's instructive is to sort of figure out how it is that's even getting in front of you to begin with. And, and maybe that's what this sort of fills the void in. And also, it's just fun to talk shop. I don't know. I like covering baseball. Yeah. I love covering baseball. And, and I think part of my love of covering baseball is the people that I'm around while doing it and, and sort of the job itself. It's a fun job. And I think it's one worth doing because people sort of enjoy watching the game. And, and I think uh, you know, they enjoy kind of learning about it. And that's sort of the role that we fill. Well, Mark doesn't speak for both of us, but uh, those are his feelings, of, you know, about the <laughs> profession. And uh... <laughs> so we've reached kind of like an interesting uh, point of the spring there, Mark, because uh, you know we've had the first week of stories. You know, everyone arrives at camp this year. It was kind of everyone was popping off about the Astros, and then you have. Um, you know, and that went on for a while, and then you kind of have your standard issue like so and so is pitching in his first game of the year, or you know, so and so hit his first homer of the year, or you know, you know, so and so is uh, you know, Jed Lowry's not playing. You know, the normal like sort of spring training stories. Um, but you can tell that we've reached like kind of a real fallow point of the spring because it seems like the most exciting thing going on in baseball this week is players being mic'd up during games, I guess. Um, but it, it does, uh, while I don't think it's the most, uh, you know, fascinating content in the world, I do think it's, it is part of a slight paradigm shift that we're seeing in the wake of the Astros in which, players are feeling more and more comfortable speaking their mind about issues that are both, you know, serious and not serious. And I think it's something that uh, has sort of is kind of counter counterintuitive to the, the sports like code of silence that's dominated for so long about, you know, you don't want to show personality. You don't want to speak out against your team or, you know, former teammates or anything like that. And I think, in the wake of, you know, Mike Fires' comments that, you know, were a huge part of uh, Ken and Evan's sign-stealing story, I think players have seen, starting to see, maybe for, you know, if not for the first time, that's kind of being crystallized, how powerful their voices can be. And so while it is, like, for me, somewhat boring to see, you know, these guys kind of, like, making jokes in the outfield with Mike's on, I think it's actually, like, really encouraging for, you know, both what we do as, as you know, writers, but also for fans who want to consume this, you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I think for sure it's a good it's a it's a step that needed to happen a while ago. 
frankly. And yeah. um, it is interesting to see how it's taking shape. And as you said, it, I think a lot of this has roots in um, what Mike Fires did. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's actually been disturbing to see some of the dialogue about that, like to hear Pedro Martinez or David Ortiz like and others like pop off about, oh, this is a snitch yeah. or whatever. It It's like... Uh, there's a certain point where it doesn't even matter what the motivation is. The bottom line is he said something and it was a hundred percent true and it was awful for baseball. And if he doesn't say it, this goes nowhere. So I think it speaks to the point that you made that maybe these guys are starting to get a sense that people want to hear their voices. And so Mike fires speaking out is a different way to manifest that than miking a bunch of dudes up in a grapefruit league game. But it's all one and the same in that you're hearing from these people that for a long time you sort of didn't hear in an authentic way. So, like, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, these guys are just goofing off. I'm watching a Met game earlier today, and it's <laughs> J.D. Davis, it's Dom Smith, and it's Jeff McNeil. Um, and most of it's just normal banter or whatever. But it, I think people are reacting to this stuff the way they are just because they're so not used to hearing it. They're so used right. to just the platitudes and the nonsense and and right. whatever that even something as as uh, silly as, you know, in this case, it was Dom Smith giving um, J.D. Davis a hard time about the trash cans. Uh, <laughs> you know, he said, he, he goes, I think something to the effect of, so you had a bunch of cheat sheets over there, am I right? But anyway, like, it, oh. like even something that's like, pretty that's fresh. Not, I like I mean, that. It that's, was, it's, that's it was fresh. pretty good. It was pretty good. And he's yeah. doing this as he's standing in left field, right? But yeah. like, you know, that's not like groundbreaking, earth-shattering stuff. It's just that you've gone so long because of the sports code of silence, not hearing any of this stuff. That even a little bit of it is refreshing. Do you think like the way? Uh, I'm going to use the royal we, but like the way we, because, you know, you and I would never do this, but uh, (laughs) like the way that we ask questions and the way that we sort of, you know, the way that like a post-game interview is conducted, for me, it seems kind of understandable the players are so miserable in them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, yeah. Like we are asking about failure after a game more often than not. So I get it. Right. Like they're human beings and uh, yeah, they're big boys and they're getting paid handsomely to wear it. So I get all that. And that's why we ask the questions. But yeah, I think that's definitely a part of it. Like, how could it not be? Right. Like it's, it's a game predicated on failure and then if you failed royally that night these doors open up and there's in new york 40 people standing around you to relive that failure so i can see how that would wear on people it's just what i i guess maybe what we're seeing here is that uh a realization that there's more to it than that if you want there to be more to it than that and, and well, I always so. thought it was interesting. I, it was it was interesting, you know, because I worked in New York with you or not with you, but, you know, I worked in New York for five years and then I went to Kansas City for two. And when I was in Kansas City, you know, I was one of two guys on the beat after being, you know, one of a dozen guys in New York. And, um, you know, and sometimes like I would be the only guy 
you know, maybe on the, on the road, you know, if, um, if Jeff Lanning from MLB.com, you know, like wasn't on that trip, you know, which happened, you know, once a month or something like that on occasion. Right. And so like a lot of times I would be doing the post game stuff, like kind of by myself, you know, in the clubhouse. And, you know, it was always interesting to me because like I would go up and say like a reliever blows the game. Right. And you, you know, you're supposed to talk to him because you're supposed, that's, he's supposed to, you know, I, I don't know why, I guess, cause he's supposed to explain what happened and you know, whatever. And you might as, if you're going to write about how he cost the team the game, you should give him a chance to explain himself. Right. And I always found it was like, I very rarely had to ask a third question. You know, it was always just like, Hey, uh, what happened? And he would like explain <laughs> what happened. And in the course of explaining what happened, he would be like, it sucks. I let the team down. It's really brutal, and I just hate letting the team down. And then, like, there really wasn't a any – it's like, yeah, that's – okay, that's about right, you know? And I would be like, thank you, and, like, walk away, you know? Because there wasn't – there's just not much more to ask, you know, after the guy explains what went wrong and then says, like, yeah, it sucks. I do not like sucking at baseball. And it, it always struck me, like, the difference between, like, so that versus, like, what happens in a bigger market where 20 people surround you, right? Someone asks the first question, uh, what, uh, what happened out there? The guy says more or less the same thing, right? Where it's like, yeah, that sucks. Like, yeah, that, that I, uh, I screwed up and here's how I screwed up. And uh, I really wish I hadn't screwed up because if I hadn't screwed up, we would have won that baseball game. And uh, I very much would have preferred we won that baseball game as compared to uh, losing the baseball game, which was my fault. Which, like, really is all that needs to be said, right? But mm-hmm. then because... There's 20 of us there, and because we want to feel like we're working, he has to field, like, seven or eight follow-ups that, while, like, they're probably all legitimate questions, they're all versions of this first one. What happened, and why did you let the team down? And so (laughs) you start to understand why, like, these guys don't want to talk to us, I guess. Um, It's a weird dynamic, and I'm not really sure how to, you know, how to traverse it, I guess, you know? It's funny because, like, you, that was so much harder, right? Being in Kansas City, because if you're only one of three, let's say, and like I started my yeah. career in Baltimore covering the Orioles, and it was much the same. Uh, man, like, you can't hide in the pack. Like, it, yeah, like people talk about New York, and it, yeah, it's because there's so many more people in that clubhouse. Like, if, if I were a player, I'd be like, yeah, this is way harder. But from the other side of it, Man, like you could literally just chill in the back of that scrum, not ask anything, yeah. right? And like all the questions get asked, and you go upstairs and you write, and like you could be harsh, you know, because you've heard this stuff, and then on off you go. Whereas like in Kansas City or Baltimore or any of the other, really most of the markets in baseball, man, right. like you know, you you walk in the room and you write something tough, like, and I know you went through it in Kansas City. The star would be sitting on the table. In the clubhouse, yeah. people saw it. You know, like yeah. I mean, I'm sure. That I remember. Was... I remember a Royals official one time was like was frustrated about something I wrote, and I just said like, "Why do you care what I write?" And he was like, "You're the you're the paper of record in Kansas City." And I was like, "Yeah, I don't. That doesn't mean I know what I'm talking about." He's like, "Well, what is that? What you tell your readers?" And I was like, "On Twitter, sometimes, yeah. Like, I have no idea what I'm. I don't know, you know." <laughs> But it was a level, it's a level of responsibility, I think, that, uh, um, you know, it's just different. I mean, they're different jobs, you know, doing, 
doing the job in, in a bigger market versus a smaller market. I think they're equally challenging. Um, I just think they're challenging in different ways. It's harder in a bigger market to do work that really stands out um, because, you know, if you if you just write what happened, there's going to be a lot of folks writing what happened. Um, versus in Kansas City, you know, I, I make a lot more money now than I did then because uh, the Royals were good and I wrote what happened. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, That's so, pretty good timing. Yeah, yeah, I, I timed up my two years there pretty well. No, but like I, I think there is a the challenge, you know, maybe in a smaller market is that if a guy pitches poorly or plays poorly, and you're the guy who has to stand in front of him, um, you know, he could get kind of tired of that. I think the the flip side though is like I run into you know even today I was in the Reds clubhouse and I saw you know uh, three different players I'd covered with the Royals who all like you know, we're very excited, you know, as excited as ball players can be to be, to see, you know, reporters, but like shouting hello and Hey, come over to my locker and stuff like that. Whereas like, you know, when it's, it's different when you're one of 12 guys. And so it's, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting, I guess, to see that, that sort of dynamic, I guess. Yeah. No, yeah, And to get back to your point, it, it's when you, when you factor all that in, you can see why sometimes that back and forth isn't fun. Uh, you know, right. I would say for both sides of that, right? I mean, I don't like when you when you're in there after a game and someone is has messed up, and you've got to ask that question. Um, you know, I'd like to think I never shied away from asking it, but I'd also like to think that I don't know, like I don't necessarily enjoy asking that. Like I'm not, you know, for the most part, I'm not like celebrating the fact that I have to ask that question, but. Yeah, uh, you know, so I guess like what I'm getting at is it, it makes me think about like there's a pretty decent chunk of people who are professional enough to get that. And, and that ends up being huge over the course of yeah. the year, you know, a lot of it, too. I think it's interesting that the dynamic of stuff being on television now, you know, like the manager's <laughs> press conference. Uh, you know, will be on television post game, and so there will be sort of fans on Twitter, you know, basically saying like, yeah, you got to rip, we got to rip them about this. You got to, you know, get them about this. You got to grill them about this. And like, a lot of times the questions come out maybe a lot more, a lot less aggressive than, mm -hmm. you know, fans would like because they're, you're not necessarily channeling their anger. And I think um, the reason that happens a lot of times is because your job is not necessarily to channel the anger it's to get an answer to the question and sometimes we kind of have to present ourselves in a way that is uh you know somewhat obsequious i guess you know that just sounds kind of like you know you're you know pussyfooting around the issue but really you're just trying to get someone to talk about it in a way that doesn't shut it down completely you know it's it's a weird dance well and you know what makes it weird man like and it's a great point with the cameras the cameras themselves are the game changer because uh, mm -hmm. when I started covering baseball, it wasn't an automatic that the regional sports network was going to use the manager's session as free content. Mm -hmm. Like there were times where it was like it was way back when where you would just be in the room with the manager. And you know what would happen? Actual conversation. Mm -hmm. It was great. Like you, you would learn something because the entire thing didn't feel so transactional. Like you, you know, right. like in you're in front of a camera and like it's rolling and everybody's on high alert, right? Like, mm -hmm. and both sides of it, like you said, there's that weird dance you've got to do because you're trying to get a reaction. And then the other guy, like he makes one mistake, the entire world sees it 
in like 10 minutes, right? Like you just misspeak or, or say something stupid that, that came out the wrong way or just make a boneheaded mistake. Everybody sees it. Uh, it -hmm. changed the whole dynamic. Like I, I kind of miss actually when you would go in there and, you know, it wasn't like I saw this a bunch because by the time I got into baseball writing, it already shifted where a lot of it was on TV. But, man, those conversations were fun. You'd sit there and learn, okay? Because you could ask him, like, instead of a camera on the manager uh, where automatically he's on the defensive and anything you say sounds like second-guessing, uh, there were more teaching moments, I thought. And it would actually inform what you wrote later on. Yeah, I stopped listening uh, to your thing and went to uh, the baseball reference page of uh, the 2008 <laughs> Baltimore Orioles. Oh, boy. Uh, can you, uh, okay, can you name, without looking, don't look, do okay. you think you could name their starting nine or their, their most, the starting nine who got the most uh, played appearances, okay. I guess, from, from each position? Okay, here we go. Um, well, the shortstop's going to be a problem because there was like eight of them. Yes, that um, is a problem. But... But I think Freddie Bynum was one of him. Uh, uh, he was. Named... He's he's not the guy who got the most ABs. But okay, the most ABs. Well, Brandon Fahey got some ABs. And he never <laughs> not... played again. Oh my god. Um, let's see. <laughs> there's had... four. There's, oh, there's oh oh oh. Five great names actually at shortstop here. Uh, Cintron. Alex Cintron was one of him, right? Alex Cintron is one of them. Yeah. He was the hitting coach for the Astros. Now they've yep. been in the news. Um, oh lord. Well, let's get back to that. Brian Roberts played second base. Aubrey Huff one. was a DH. Yep. Markakis played right. Yep. Adam Jones played center. Yep. Um, Luke Scott played left. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yep. Uh, let's see. <laughs> yeah, Luke Scott. Um, we got, let's see. Ramon Hernandez was the catcher. Yep. Um, and Melvin Mora played third. That's right. Now, who was so, the first baseman? Go- Oh, Kevin Millar. Kevin. Um, <laughs> what a team. Yeah, it was Kevin Millar. Yeah, what a <laughs> this team. Is a, this is like a, uh, what, you, you should do like a, a, a I don't know, like a 20-year retrospective on this team. <laughs> there's a lot of interesting oh, guys God. on this club. That's, yeah, like there's, <laughs> that's a, that was quite the team to learn on. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh my god like wow. you had this mix of just like kids right yeah and then just like salty salty veterans that um like they would just say stuff to you and like i was too stupid and gre- like wet behind the ears to even understand like uh half of it that when i look back at it now like i cringe because it's like yeah. oh man he was totally taking a shot at me and i was like too dumb to realize it so, oh, yeah, what yeah happened? that happened a lot. Well, no, it was just like things they would say or, or do. Yeah. like, And, you know, that after a while, you're like, oh, crap. Yeah. Like, that was aimed at me. Like, Someone made a joke <laughs> and it took you a while to get it? That's a new one. Yeah, that's a shocker. Yes. Yeah. Uh, By the way, look, Juan I got, Castro I got, I got was the shortstop you missed. Who? It was Juan Castro, yeah. former Dodgers coach, Juan Castro. Wow. Well, yeah. what was your your twenty? But you had the Mets. The twenty ten right? Mets, that... yeah. The twenty ten Mets. Yeah, you like you could go through that starting nine pretty easily, I would think. Uh, you know? Or is that all yeah. lost to time now? Uh, I could if you pull it up. Yeah, I can try it. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. This is it's good podcast because, content. Oh yeah, yeah, people are just like this uh, is the I good stuff. Like I hope my commit. They're they're hoping the traffic clears up. Uh, 
Okay. Fire away. No. There's some, there's some, way, there's some way Ryan is stuck and they're just miserable. Um, yeah, yeah catcher, is, uh, like... catcher is uh, T Hole, Josh Tolley. He was one. Did I get that right? Uh, uh, first base is Ike Davis. That's right. Second base, I genuinely don't know. Shortstops, Jose uh, you want Reyes. A hint? You want a, you, I'll give you a hint on the second baseman. Oh, it's I'm Luis Castillo. You were it's there Luis Castillo. There it it's is. Luis Castillo. Oh, yeah. Uh, third oh, base yeah. is David Wright. Left field's Jason Bay. Center field is Angel Pagan. And right That's field, right. right field, I guess would be Carlos Beltran. Well, let's see. Sixty-four games. They've got him as a center fielder here. Frenchie oh, okay. played right field oh, for this team. <laughs> Frenchie. How wow. about that? Yeah, where's the time 80, go? 80, where's the time 80 go? OPS plus. Oui. Hey, you know who was still uh, a really good baseball player in 2010? Who was that? A-Rod. <laughs> and now he's the conscience of the sport. How about what, that? What you got? I mean, do you, like, it's, in, it's, I don't know, like, is that, he's, 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 he's like a super popular figure now, because I think he has, um, you know, in a in a very good move, kind of embraced the more sort of kooky side of his personality that he kind of tried to, mm-hmm. you know, that he kept behind the scenes, I guess, and tried to be more serious for, you know, a long time. So, like, he is very entertaining, and he's a very, very astute um, baseball analyst. But it is a little strange to, to hear him, like, kind of moralizing about the Astros, no? I think the one thing that really has upset the fans is you you cheat you win a championship, there is no suspension, and then there's no remorse. And the last one, I think, is probably the worst one because people want to see remorse. They want a real, authentic apology, and they have not received that thus far. From a guy who has made, you know, as many mistakes as anybody on the biggest stage, I served the longest suspension in Major League Baseball history. You know, it cost me well over $35 million. And you know what? I deserve that. And as a result, I yes. came back. I owned it after acting like a buffoon for a long time. I had my apologies, and then I went dark. And I wanted my next move to be contrite, but I also wanted to go out and play good baseball and change my narrative. And the way you change your nar- narrative is you have to be accountable. Uh, yeah, that, that caught me off guard. <laughs> and... <laughs> Like, I guess the closest comp I can think of is, like, why do people like Razor Ramon when, you know, he's the bad guy and, and whatever? And, and like, you know, Razor Ramon Alex, hasn't, like, worked know, a match since, like, 1996. Like, he changed but he was memorable. Scott Hall. Okay. Whatever. Like, people yeah, remember okay. him as Razor Ramon, okay? Like, I mean. But whatever. Like, that, it's the same energy. It's the same energy. Like, okay. this, he's embraced it. Right, like he's embraced yeah. that weirdness. It's just, uh, man, like this was a guy that, uh, you know, twice with the PEDs, mm-hmm. um, and you know, he. I think the quote we heard, right, buffoonery, I think, is what he called it, and that's almost like light. Like that was beyond <laughs> buffoonery. All right, like there was some pretty deceitful stuff in there, and you know what? <laughs> no one remembers it. So he's sitting there. This is the same guy who got popped for PEDs and when asked if it had an effect, basically pulled the Jim Crane before Jim Crane and said, ah, I don't know. 
All right. <laughs> that guy yeah. is talking about how the Houston Astros should be more contrite. So while I love a second act like everybody else, and by the way, he is a great baseball analyst, um, yeah. for all of A-Rod's nonsense, I think the, one of the things that's indisputable is that I mean, he's a baseball savant. Yeah, right? he, is. Like he, he really is. is. And I think it comes through a lot of times on the air. So I think it's great that he's like, you know, run with that. It's just when you start to get to the whole moral stuff, it's like, you know what? Perhaps you should stay in your lane on this one subject because it was like, wow, really? Like, have people forgotten? Because I, I get it. People love the redemption story. And honestly, I when he was playing, I thought, no way is this guy getting into the Hall of Fame. And now, as we sit here in 2020, he's totally getting in the Hall of Fame. No. Because no one remembers this. No stuff. way. Oh, yeah, he is. No way. He's getting in the Hall of Fame. Oh, he absolutely is. Well, he okay, absolutely okay. Hold is. on. Hold on. No. Hold, that's not. What is really? the argument for that? I mean, well, again, the 600 so homers we're clear, is one. this is obviously not an argument of whether he belongs there. I don't vote. Right. If I did, I would vote him in. I, w- I would Too vote cool for Bonds. I would vote for Clemens, blah, 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 blah. Let's, okay, so that's not what we're debating. You think the electorate, which, again, as you know, Mark, the electorate uh, is not changing anytime soon uh, and still hasn't let in Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, is going to vote in A-Rod? Man, like if you just go off the trajectory that he's on to go from suing everyone under the sun after getting nailed with steroids again for the second time, that guy who is now moralizing about the Astros and then on social media getting a victory lap for it. All right. Like it wasn't people rolling their eyes the other day when he did this. People were just like, oh, man, I really respect that. Look at him wear it. Look at him own it. Like, if he can do that, then he can do anything. And that includes no. standing there giving a speech in Cooperstown one day. Like, I'm convinced no, of I, it. I, yes, because no, like, people no. have short no memories. No, oh, the, the, no okay, way, Mark, Andy, no way. Come Mark, on. People no have way is memories, a bit much. You do realize that Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens aren't in the Hall of Fame, right? Like, I know I they haven't called I you do. on your phone to tell you that and, you know, like, preach their case, <laughs> so maybe you're not aware of it. Like, maybe the uh, only way that this gets on your radar is you just get calls from these people out of the blue. Um, uh, but they're not in the Hall of Fame. And the right. voters no, and neither is Sammy a, Sosa. Oh, yeah, why don't you send out – yeah, go to search Mark You go Carrig, tweet that out one more time. Mark Carrig, <laughs> The Athletic, Sammy Sosa, click subscribe. Uh, but But <laughs> – the voters for the Hall of Fame actually have a very long memory. Like that's specifically the problem is they have a long memory and they judge everything through the context of how they felt, you know, seven years ago as compared, you know, that's the whole reason okay. we had such a voters, uh, such a, a backlog for 10 years that, you know, good okay. candidates fell off the ballot. So, and now let's get depressing since this is like somewhat media like related. Buddy, right? I'm depressed. Like, Yeah. <laughs> But, okay, what's happened with the industry that we work in, man? It has shrunk. Uh, yeah. It has shrunk, yeah. and, and, and there's so few people to replace the ones that are no longer covering the game. It sucks. I hate it. I think it's awful, especially now when, you know, because of the way that, that people consume their news, there's this opportunity to have so much good stuff out there. And I think there is. But when, when, you know, the industry contracts the way that media has, 
there's just going to be fewer of those people that will no. still vote. And you know that the, the Hall of Fame is cracked down on, or not cracked down, but like limited uh, how many people get to vote now, right? Like if, you're, if you don't cover ball for a certain amount of time, like you lose your vote. So I think what happens then is that it makes that electorate a little bit younger, and a lot of those people that will be picking up votes see that situation so much differently than the people that came before them. So I think part of this is just a shift in how media is, and it will end up filtering back to Alex Rodriguez standing there in Cooperstown giving his speech for the Hall of Fame. You want to bet on that? Yes, I do. All right. I'm not All saying right. it's going to be like like first ballot or whatever, but before What's his eligibility up? is up, okay, <laughs> dude. In that ten years, he's getting in, and I'll bet you fifty bucks. I'll bet he's you we'll, put din- we'll bet a dinner on that. I'll bet you dinner. There's well, no yeah. way. Well, there's no way. You, yeah. Oh, the, no way. and bonds fire. are at sixty percent. You think there's going to be that right. much turnover? Yes, dude. Look at those numbers for those two guys. Like how much they've. I mean. Can you believe 60%? That's the majority of people in this electorate think that Roger Clemens is a Hall of Famer. I mean, the I majority of people think Omar Vizquel is a Hall of Famer. I mean, you know, I don't. I wouldn't trust baseball writers about this question. Uh, that's why you don't vote. Smart. Well, I, I just it's it's because I just don't. Uh, I don't think we should. But but that's a that's neither here nor that's there. A, that's another pod for another day. Yeah, I mean, mostly it's just because I just don't. I just I don't know. I just don't care. <laughs> that's great i mean it's a thing that's it's not argued i mean whatever i like i don't know i, I we don't need to get it. We into got you cr- into a hall of fame argument that's yeah amazing. i know this is like my least First favorite Some, this is amazing that somehow i allow myself to like it's i don't know i don't i feel can't like believe the, you walked into it either to be honest I, I am just going to say that uh that uh like kurt schilling's career shows that he's obviously a hall of famer um based on the other pitchers who are in the Hall of Fame. Um, but I also think that he said some, you know, fairly reprehensible things. And so, um, there, you know, if folks want to ding him for that, I guess that's their decision. I just think it's a, it's pro, you know, his case kind of, uh, for me, solidifies probably why, you know, maybe we shouldn't be deciding this and, you know, someone well, else. Yeah. Should. I yeah well yeah like the, again another pod for another day but I yeah. can see that argument and I, I can't don't believe we got disagree. roped into this. Anyway, no, we A-Rod's did. We not, A-Rod's right not going to be A-Rod's not going to be a Hall of Famer. Not that he doesn't deserve it. Not that he's one of the he's not he's obviously you know had one of the best baseball careers of all time. But I just I don't see the the voting base changing. Like I just don't see that, and especially because there's a lot of voters. There's a lot of voters on the PED stuff who they vote for bonds, but they're like more judgmental on, you know, uh, Sosa or guys who like failed tests, I guess. And Mm -hmm. A-Rod was caught twice. So like he's going to run into even the open-minded voters, you know, who think that just the act of steroids necessarily wasn't, you know, the problem. It was the breaking of the rules that's the problem. He broke the rules, you know. Andy? Listen to all those dudes that you just said. Like, go down the list of the names you just dropped. Those people are out of sight, out of mind. Alex Rodriguez is in your living room every Sunday night. And you know what? That's no accident. He's brilliant. 
He's yeah. brilliant. <laughs> like he's talking about seizing the narrative. You know what's easy to do? How it's easy to seize a narrative is when you have the big microphone to do so. And he's got it. And he's not going anywhere. They love him. The fans love him. And like every time he's on a Sunday night game and he, you know, makes a point like he did about the Astros and gets the back pats, that's like one more dime into the credibility bank that he gets to, to put in there. And then 10 years later, he's sitting there in the Hall of Fame. I'm telling you, man, like it's what a brilliant play by him, by the way, because like that's what I'm, I'm telling some of this. That's what some of this is. All right. Like he gets it like he had to scrub his image and. You can't tell me that it wasn't to get in the hall. Of course it was. And and the fact that he is the only one of that group that's out in front all the time, everywhere, is going to help him. He's going to get there. I'm telling you. Mark, if we've learned anything from Super Tuesday, I think it's that the concept of campaigning might be slightly overrated. But neither here nor there. <laughs> we can just move on. Uh I don't know, man. I think this was a, a, a fun first uh, first episode. I feel like uh, you know we're probably going to have a little bit more substance and stuff, a little less digressive stuff as the year goes on. Um, but yeah, do you have any uh, maybe final thoughts you want to leave folks with before we uh, get on out of here? I think this is going to be fun, and I'm yeah. looking forward to talking to people that produce great work and, yeah. and figuring out how they did that. Like It's one of the most fun things about doing the gig to me anyway is that you see a story that gets written and you're just like dang how the hell did they do that and i don't know <laughs> yeah. maybe this is a way to kind of do that to shout yeah. some of those people out yeah. um so you know what i look forward to maybe talking to some of those folks or yeah. talking about their work because it's it's hard to do stuff like that and they should get credit for it well, we want to thank you guys so much for listening to the first episode. You can rate and review us and subscribe probably all on iTunes. Go to theathletic.com slash beyondthescrum to subscribe to The Athletic. And we will check in with you next week and every week moving forward during the baseball season. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.